We're going to look for a few moments this morning at the last page in the Bible. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. We'll have something on the screen, but I hope you'll use your own Bible. And when I say the last page, I'm not talking about that signature page or flyleaf or maps or uh, concordance. I'm talking about the last page of Holy Scripture. Book of Revelation chapter 22 will be our focus text today. You've probably read the passages before, but have you really considered this is the last page of the Bible? What would God include? What is God saying to us from the last page in the Bible? I want to read a couple of verses with you standing uh, to demonstrate part of what God says on the last page of the Bible, and that's the weight, the significance, the importance of all of God's Word, and in particular the book of Revelation, and in particular this uh, last chapter and last page. If you would, stand with me as we look at verses 18 and 19 of Revelation chapter 22. John, writing from the island of Patmos, you'll remember, receives this information, this message, and now is encouraged by it and passing it on to others to be encouraged and instructed. And here's what he says concerning the weight of God's Word, and in particular, this portion we're looking at today. I testify unto every man that heareth the word of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. If nothing else, on the last page of the Bible, God is saying what I say here is unchanging and unfailing and absolutely critical and important. Give heed to it and let your life be shaped by it. Don't do anything to change it or to rearrange it. If nothing else, that's what God is saying. But there's much more and we're going to look at it today. Please be seated. There are many ways to think about the Bible. The Bible is an anthology, a collection of various books and authors and writings and styles through about a thousand year period of time. The Bible is a library. You can find uh, something on almost any subject in the library. The Bible is certainly history. You've heard it said before, I've said it before, and I'm sure you've heard others say it as well. It's not only history, it is His story from the first pages of the Bible where uh, Jesus is a part of the creation to the third chapter of the first pages of the Bible, first book of the Bible, where Jesus is promised to be the seed of a woman, but who's going to crush the head of Satan, the serpent, and uh, gain the victory and provide salvation. And all through the Old Testament, it's an anticipation and a preparation and a symbolism of the coming of Jesus. Then you turn the pages of the New Testament and there in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, the story that the one who has been promised has come. It's his story, the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. And then the remainder of the New Testament continues that with the interpretation of the life of Jesus and what the message and the accomplishment of Jesus means for believers all throughout the rest of the New Testament. So certainly the Bible could be described as history, his story. 
You've heard me say before, and I'm sure you may have heard others say it as well. Another way to talk about the Bible, though, is this is God's love letter to me, to you. God's love letter to the human race. It's really one document. It has one source and one voice, and that's God. It has one audience, and that's humanity. And however God chose to speak, whether it be through a prophet or through a poet or through the life of Jesus or the words of Jesus or the Apostle Paul, however he chose to do it, he's communicating his message of his heart of love for the human race. So the Bible is a love letter. Well, what do you put on the last page, the last paragraph of a love letter? My wife's not in this service. She was in the earlier service, so I embarrassed her. Well, I'll do it again. And y'all can tell her I talked about her, okay? I've only written love letters in my life to one person. And that's my wife. In 1970, we both lived in Birmingham and were dating, but I got called to a church in South Alabama for the summer to be a summer youth director. And back in those days, it was snail mail. Now, youth and uh, children in the room, young adults in the room may not have any idea what we're talking about, but the old penmanship on a piece of paper and I put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, take it to the post office and mail it. And I wrote love letters, three or four pages every day. And Sharon wrote me back almost as many. Uh, I would look forward to those getting them almost every day as well. But I got in the pattern and the habit of saying what I wanted to say throughout the letter. This is what we did at, at our church on Sunday. This is what I did with the young people this week. This is what I got planned. This is how I'm feeling, all those things. But all through there, I have a reminder that I love her, I love her, I love her. I'm coming back at the end of the summer, and we're going to get married in a few months, and uh, I, I'll see you soon. But on the last paragraph, when I came to the end of that love letter, I didn't put anything new in there, but I went back and took what I'd already said and said it again, sometimes in those big letters, you know, if I had a red pen in red letters. I want you to remember that I care about you, that I love you, that you're the only one for me. I'm being faithful to you, and I'll be back. Uh, as soon as I possibly can. You put important things on the last page of a letter, and in particular of a love letter. Well, if this is God's love letter, what would he put on the last page? That's what we're going to look at today. If you take notes, we've already read a couple of verses that just give an amazing statement of the weight and the significance of all of God's Word, and in particular this Word. But I want to give you four P's as well. So if you're taking notes, you have a space there in your bulletin, or you may have another uh, way of doing that. But I'm going to give you four P's, and we're going to find the essential elements illustrated and provided throughout this last page of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. First of all, on the last page of the Bible, God gives us the last promise. And we're going to find it in verse 7, again in verse 12, and again in verse 20. So look with me just quickly. And I'm only going to read the promise. There's some other significant information in the, each of these verses, but uh, you'll need to look at them for yourself. I just want us to look for the moment at the promise. And of course, you know what that promise is. Jesus is speaking in Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I come quickly. And then in verse 12, and behold, I come quickly. And then in verse 20, the very last breath of the Bible, the very last sentence of the Bible. He that testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. The last page of the Bible contains the last promise of the Bible. 
Now, somebody has said there's 365 promises in the Bible, one for every day of the week and every day of the year. Uh, some argue with that and say there's not that many. Some say there's a whole lot more than 365, but that's really not the point. The Bible is full of promises. But God doesn't make a new promise on the last page. He takes the promise that he's made before, and of all the promises, he picks one to reemphasize, to restate, and not just once or twice, but three times on the last page of the Bible. I think he wants us to get the message, don't you? As he promised Jesus would come 2,000 years ago to Bethlehem to die for our sins, to demonstrate God's kind of life, to communicate with his lips God's message to the world. Jesus left saying, I'm coming again. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. And that's not only that one place in Scripture, but all throughout the Old Testament. Not only does the Old Testament anticipate the first coming of Jesus, but it anticipates the second coming of Jesus. And here it is again. Of all of the promises that he could have chosen to reiterate, he reiterates that promise. Jesus Christ is coming again. Now that promise and that subject intrigues you, I know, and probably opens up a whole myriad of questions and concerns and thoughts and debates that you'd like to pursue. And I'll just tell you, I'm not going to do that today. Okay. We don't have the time. I don't have all the answers. And what I told you, you wouldn't agree with completely anyway. So we're just going to avoid the debates concerning the return of Jesus other than the fact Jesus is coming again. The first time he came was a miracle, but it was through a natural process of birth in Bethlehem. But he's coming again in the air. He's coming again supernaturally. But it will be visibly, it will be audibly, and it will be victoriously, and may I say conclusively. When Jesus comes again, a series of events. That's what we're not going to get into the details of now. But I believe when he comes again, it's going to usher in a series of events that's going to bring this world to God's final conclusion and to usher us into the future that God has for us. He is coming again. And that's the last promise of the Bible. And we need to remember that. It needs to affect uh, our lives every day. And there it is three times on the last page of the Bible. Of all the promises he could have given us, he gives us that one three times. Then I want you to notice verses 13 and 14, the person of the promise. The Bible is history, his story. On every page you can find Jesus Christ. Dr. Criswell used to say, start anywhere you want to in the Bible and, and move as quickly as you can from that point to the subject of the cross, Calvary, Jesus Christ's death on the cross, his sacrifice for us. You can find Jesus on every page of the Bible. But we find him here, and I just want you to hear how uh, uh, Jesus reveals himself and reminds us of who he is having made this promise. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus is speaking to John and to us, I am Alpha. When it all started, I was there in the beginning and I began it. And I'm the Omega. When it all comes to an end, I will be the one involved in bringing everything to God's conclusion. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end the first and the last. That's the person who made the promise. Look at verse 14. And by the way, I'll just point out to you, there are a series of beatitudes throughout the book of Revelation. Another one is back in verse 7, that latter part of verse 7 that I didn't read. And then here's another beatitude, a blessed statement of Jesus uh, here in verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. 
Jesus says, when it all began, I began it. I'm with it all the way through. And when this world, when history, when my life and your life all comes to an end, I'll be there in the end and in the conclusion to wrap it up. And then I think that 14th verse he's saying, and I'm your only hope. I'm the only way. He's already said back in John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And there in verse 14, it's a relationship with me that gives you the privilege to enter into that conclusion that uh, those events of the last days and of the future that God has planned, I am the way for that. So Revelation 22, the last page of the Bible presents the last promise. Jesus is coming again. It gives us just a brief description and a a, a, a poignant uh, reminder of the person who made the promise, the Alpha and the Omega, the only way to life, the only way to eternal life is the one who made the promise. But then I want you, if you would, to uh, go with me to the next uh, portion of Revelation chapter 22, the third P. We've seen the promise. We've seen the person. I want you to look with me at the last prayer of the Bible. Once again, the Bible is filled with prayers, isn't it? From almost the first page or the early pages of the Bible, all the way through, you find people praying. Abraham praying and Moses praying and David praying and Isaiah praying and Jeremiah praying and the disciples praying and Jesus praying and Paul praying. All throughout the Bible, the prayers of the Bible. But here on the last page of the Bible is a prayer. Again, it's not a new prayer. It's the same prayer that's been stated earlier but it's repeated on the last page of the Bible because it's that important for us to see and to know. It's in verse 17. It's just in the first part of verse 17. In response to the person who promised to come again, the Spirit and the bride say a one-word prayer, come. Jesus, you said you're coming. The Spirit says come. The bride says come. Our pastor last week talked about sending up those flare prayers. That's a flare prayer as far as I can tell, just a one word, a breath. My spirit tells me Jesus is coming again. I'm ready for him to come again. I'm excited about him coming again. And so my prayer is, Lord Jesus, come. A one word prayer ascending to the Father in response to the promise, I'm coming. The prayer is, fulfill your promise, come again. But now notice this prayer. Verse 17 says that it's the Spirit, first of all, who's praying this prayer. That's the Holy Spirit, capital S. Put that into perspective. This is the third person of the Trinity praying to the first person of the Trinity for the second person of the Trinity to come, for the second person of the Trinity to fulfill his promise, to fulfill God's plan for the human race. The Spirit says to the Father, Send Jesus. Let Jesus come. I can assure you there's never been a more perfect prayer than that one. When the perfect Holy Spirit prays to the perfect Father to send the perfect Son. That's a perfect prayer. It's going to be answered. So if you have any doubt that uh, Jesus is coming, it just it seems too uh, supernatural. It seems too, too stupendous. It seems too unusual. It seems too out of the ordinary. I just can't imagine Jesus coming in the air again, even as the Bible describes it. Well, if it's not true, then the Holy Spirit, who is God, has prayed to the Father, who is God, to send the Son, who is God, in response to His promise. I'm telling you, it's a guaranteed prayer. It's a done deal. Because the Spirit is praying to the Father for the Son to come. But notice not only is the Spirit praying, but the bride. 
in tandem, in harmony. The bride is the body of Christ. It's believers. All believers from the beginning of time to the end of time make up the bride of Christ. The picture of the bride is the symbolism in the uh, Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, of those who are followers of God, those who are Christians, those who are part of the body of Christ, make up the bride of Christ. So the bride and the Spirit say, come. I think there's an important order here. You and I make up the bride. We're believers, and we're supposedly filled by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Isn't that, isn't that what's happening right here? The Spirit prays the prayer, and the bride follows the lead of the Spirit. It prays in union, in tandem with the Holy Spirit. Just what the Holy Spirit wants is what I want. Come, Lord Jesus. So it's the Spirit and the bride say come. But then I want us to flip down, if you would, to verse 20. There's another application here. John says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. That's the words of Jesus. That's the promise. But then look at how John jumps into the, the uh, 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 promise and responds to the promise individually. He says, amen. Let it be. Amens are, are, are not out of place at all here this morning or anytime we gather in this place, whether it's me preaching or Pastor Davin or whoever it is, amens are a good thing. And John shows you that. When the word is true and when the word quickens your spirit, then from your lips should flow response. Amen. Let it be. But then John goes on to say his own personal prayer. You see, you know the Spirit's going to pray for a perfect prayer for the Son to come. And you know the general bride, all that mass and group of believers of uh, uh, every space and every age uh, from the beginning to the end, join in. The true bride of Christ prays come. But what about the individual members of the bride, the body of Christ? Well, John is an individual member, and he shows us, he says himself, he repeats that prayer. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Jesus says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And some of you are familiar with the word. You've seen it used in, in modern day quite often called Maranatha. Well, even so, come, Lord Jesus, in the original language, could be, uh, is a translation of words, Maranatha. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So when you hear Maranatha, that's the uh, prayer on the lips of John. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, what I want you to consider with me here today, yes, the Spirit says come, not surprising. Yes, the bride says come, not surprising. Yes, John says come, Lord Jesus. But what about you? And what about me? Can you join with John and say, amen, even so come, Lord Jesus? Can you join with John and the bride, all the body of Christ, and say, come, Lord Jesus? Can you join with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, and pray, come, Lord Jesus? Well, that opens up a big subject, and I don't have the time to pursue it today, but I want to just offer this consideration to you. You will and you can pray, if you're a born-again believer, come, Lord Jesus. A part of the bride, in line with the Spirit, praying, come, Lord Jesus. Unless two things, one or both, are true. If there's something in your life that should not be there, you cannot look to the heavens and with full faith and confidence and joy cry out, come, Lord Jesus. Because there's something in your life you know doesn't belong there. You would not want to be found. 
You would not want to be revealed with that in your life. And so can you pray, Lord Jesus, come? Not until you deal with whatever that is in your life. And there's where I could go through a whole list of the possibilities, but I would miss something. The Holy Spirit won't miss a thing. He's speaking to your heart today, and you, you know exactly what it is that keeps you from wholeheartedly, sincerely, earnestly, and urgently praying for Jesus to come and looking forward to his coming. Something in your life is preventing that. Whatever it is, you need to deal with it today. That's what the last page of the Bible is teaching you. And then the flip side of that is just the other. There's something that's supposed to be in your life. The Lord's revealed it to you. He's spoken to you about it. He's shown you that. You've even said, I'll take care of it, Lord. I'll do it, Lord. But you hadn't done it. There's something in your life that should not be that's got to be dealt with. There's something in your life that should be that is not yet developed, uh, been, been born out, and it must be taken care of before you can join with the bride and the spirit and with John to say, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. I challenge you to consider that today. The last promise, Jesus is coming. The person is the Alpha and the Omega. The prayer is a one-word prayer in three voices on the last page of the Bible, the spirit and the bride and John the Revelator. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Well, there's one other thing back in verse 17. Not only do we find the last prayer in the Bible in verse 17, but we also find the last plea in the Bible. Normally when Pastor Davin or I or whoever here is preaching comes to the end of the sermon, we offer an invitation. Well, I'm not going to offer an invitation today because it's already been offered. It's here in the Scripture, and it's to every single one of us here and viewing by live stream, it's an invitation to every one of us, and it starts with, the Spirit and the bride say, come, so let him that heareth say, come. Well, who is him that heareth? Well, the Bible makes it abundantly clear when we're lost, we're deaf to spiritual things, we're blind to spiritual things, we're insensitive and unresponsive to spiritual things. But when we're born again, we're, our eyes are open, our ears are open, and our minds are open to understanding. So him that heareth is a believer, a person who has placed their faith and trust in Christ and calls himself a follower of Christ. And so to be sure all the bases are covered on the last page of the Bible, the spirit prays come, the bride prays come, John prays come, and then the plea is let everyone who hears don't just be a part of a big group called the bride and say, yeah, we, we, the bride, are praying, come Lord Jesus. No, let every individual, man, woman, boy, or girl, join with the Spirit, join with the bride, join with John's Maranatha, and let him who hears say, come. But the one who hears will not say, come, if there's something that shouldn't be there or something that should be there that hadn't gotten taken care of yet. Until that happens, you'll never be able to respond to this plea. So that's God's invitation today. That's God's plea to you today as a believer, as a member of the body of Christ. Let him that hears join the prayer and say, come. And then, I don't think we need a reminder, but it's a beautiful picture here of what God is like. Does he love the world? Well, look at the last thing God includes on the, on the last page of the Bible. The promise the prayer, the plea to believers, and then 
Some of you may remember a preacher who's now in heaven named Dr. Bill Culbreth. He pastored uh, uh, at Huffman Baptist Church at one time. He pastored my home church out in Forestdale, Westwood Baptist Church at one time. Pastored down in Miami at one time. Pastored in Washington, D.C. at one time. When he was pastor of my home church, he preached through the book of Revelation. When he came to this verse and this passage of Scripture, it was all recorded on, some of you will know what I'm talking about, cassette tapes, okay? I know those don't exist much anymore, but uh, that was then, back in the 70s and the 80s. And when it was done, my mom and daddy ordered those tapes, and they knew their son was a preacher boy, and he needed all the help he could get and all the sermons he could find, so they shipped me those tapes all the time, okay? And I remember hearing Dr. Culbreth when he came to this part of the book of Revelation saying, it's as if God takes the doors of salvation, the doors of eternity, the doors of heaven, and throws them wide open and says, and let him that is a thirst come, whosoever will let him come and take of the water of life freely. And when I think about that thirst that this verse talks about and the water of life, I can't help but let my mind go to John chapter 4 and the woman at the well. She needed water that day, but she didn't know the water that she needed, did she? She needed spiritual water. She needed water that would spring up in her as a, a, an ever-flowing stream, constantly fulfilling her thirst. She thought she just needed a bucket of water to wash dishes or to do chores at the house, but she needed living water, and Jesus provided that living water. And John chapter 4 is the record of a thirsty woman coming and finding the water of life and her life being transformed. And because her life was transformed, she shared the message and her whole community was transformed. When I think of let him that is a thirst come, that's God saying to a Samaritan woman or to a Zacchaeus or to a a crippled man or to a blind man or to a woman taken in adultery, all those illustrations in the Bible, it's God saying to them, if you're thirsty for forgiveness, if you're thirsty for peace, if you're thirsty for hope, if you're thirsty for something that will outlast your life and will live and last and, and uh, be yours for all eternity, then come. Do you see how that word changes in verse 17? First of all, it's a prayer for Jesus to come on the lips of the Spirit, on the lips of the bride, on the lips of the one who hears. But now it's changed. It's the same word. But it says, come if you're thirsty and come and take of the water of life freely. If you're here today, if you're viewing today by live stream, you need to know what does God think about you? He loves you and he sent his son. And he's going to send that son back again to usher in his heaven and his eternity. But he's inviting you to be ready for that by responding to his invitation, to his plea. If you're thirsty, Jesus is the water of life. Come and take the water of life like that Samaritan woman did. Whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. What does that freely mean? Well, it means it's without cost. Somebody paid it, Jesus paid it, but it's free to us if we'll receive that gift of life and salvation that Jesus provides, that Jesus is. But not only is it free of cost, but it's also abundant. Take the water of life. Take as much as you need for salvation, for peace, for joy, and for hope. The last plea of the Bible starts to believers. If you've been given ears to hear, then hear the Spirit praying, come. Hear the bride across the ages praying, come. And If you have ears to hear, join in that prayer. Remove what needs to be removed. Begin with that which needs to be begun and join in with the Spirit and the Bride and with John and say, Maranatha, 
Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're not a believer, today your eyes can be opened, your ears can be made to hear, your soul can be made soft and fertile and rich and growing by a response to the invitation. If you're thirsty, come and take the water of life, and that water of life is Jesus. If you're uh, uh, in need, come and let Jesus Christ satisfy and meet that need. We invite you and urge you to do that today. Our musicians are going to come. I'll be standing here at the front. Others perhaps will join me here at the front. But as we are here in these moments of closing song and closing music, it's the time for you to respond to God's invitation. Come. One day it's going to be everlastingly too late. But nobody will have an excuse because throughout the ages and even on the last page of the Bible, God has said, I'm giving you the opportunity. I'm inviting you now to come. And that's what we're inviting you to do right now. Come before Jesus comes and it is too late. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you for the chance to gather here again today and to dig into your word. Lord, to see something that we've seen and read and heard multiple times, but we never really focused on the promise. We never really focused on the prayer that responds to the promise. We never really have responded to your invitation, your plea to come. Help us to do that now. Speak to hearts at home as well as here in this building. Speak to our hearts and minister to us in these moments, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.